ADP has your back with ADP Marketplace, a digital HR storefront. Be a more trusted advisor to your clients by recommending apps to help streamline HR processes and free up time to focus on people. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, ADP Marketplace, later in the episode. There's a lot of accounting firms that are Expensify approved partners. They have a partnership program and they've made videos and they've written articles promoting the product, reselling the product essentially. And Expensify went and sent out this message. And I wonder how much they really thought about the impact on the accounting firms, on the partners. That's exactly what is not fair about this email. Expensify planned for weeks about this email. They prepared for the response. They probably built a team. Hey, guess what? We're going to drop this email and we're going to get blowback. So everybody be all hands on staff to reply on Twitter and social media and be ready for this. Accountants, bookkeepers, small business owners are completely caught off guard. I I really don't This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClockShark. ClockShark is the leading GPS, time tracking, and scheduling system built for local construction and field service companies that want a simpler way to track time, run payroll, and understand job costs. With the capabilities of crew tracking, scheduling, job site geofencing, teams and project segmentation, automatic labor allocation, budgeting, and reporting, ClockShark has built a robust mobile time tracking system to handle the unique challenges that face your clients. With ClockShark, your clients can keep accurate records like overtime, paid time off, unpaid time, hours per job, and task, as well as the crucial data needed for certified payroll. With the integrations ClockShark has, you'll be able to connect to one of many ADP payroll platforms through ADP Marketplace and process payroll in minutes with a click of a button. ClockShark's pricing starts at just $6 a month per employee. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash ClockShark. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-A-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LivePlan. According to the 2019 LivePlan Small Business Survey, 59% of small businesses want new services from experts like yourself. This is higher than accounting, bookkeeping, and tax services. And the pandemic economy has only increased this demand. If you're struggling to figure out how to make advisory services profitable for your firm, LivePlan has the method and the training to get you there. LivePlan offers a complete advisory program you can consume online with over 20 resources from advisory business processes to meeting agendas and scripts, marketing emails, even guidance on packaging and pricing your advisory services. To learn more about how LivePlan is turning accountants into confident business advisors, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LivePlan. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-P-L-A-N. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, uh, yesterday... I got to go on my first date night with my wife since March. Since COVID, basically. Since COVID, yeah. Like, we have not really been able to go out. You know, kids couldn't have a babysitter. My parents are back, and they took our son for the night, and we went out to eat. We felt that was safe because you can dine outside in, in Arizona now, right? It is no longer 100 degrees all the time. Uh, so, we we went to, like, this nice restaurant with an, a big outdoor patio, and they had socially distanced. So every other table was empty and we sit down and what do we see on the table? A QR code. A QR code. Yes. So all the restaurants here in Scottsdale are using QR codes instead of physical menus now. So I opened up my 
camera app on my phone, snapped a picture of that QR code. It took me to their website. And here's what was different. It wasn't just their menu. They actually had this app where you could see the menu and you could order food from the app, the webpage. It wasn't even an app I had to download. It's just the mobile webpage. I could click on items, add them to an order and order them and send that order straight to the kitchen uh, right from my table. So I didn't have to wait for a waiter to come around, take my order. I mean, they, they did have wait staff coming around asking if you needed anything, but if you wanted, you could just order anytime. And it, it connected straight to their point of sale. And when the meal was over, I could even pay with Apple Pay right there at the table. It, it, it's taken that that experience. You kind of get at Starbucks right now. Just because it's a default Starbucks app, you order a coffee, you walk up to the counter, you get it, sit back down at your table. But it's taking that to like normal yeah. sit down restaurants, obviously, you know, oh, it, restaurants you take your wife to. It, it was so great. It was so much faster. This is progress, right? We are becoming te- technologically enabled in our dining as a result of this. And it makes everything much more sanitary, right? We're not passing pens around the whole restaurant and anyway. And and it's probably a plus and minus, right? Because obviously there's wait staff that won't have jobs now because of this as much, but restaurants might be able to turn tables faster. Exactly. Turn tables faster because people are getting their meals faster and, and it's more efficient, right? And I think in general, that is better because then maybe wages will actually go up. Because if you need fewer wait staff, you can have better wait staff and pay them more. So I think I've seen before restaurants at the end of the meal, when people are sitting there to cash out their check, like that's six, seven, eight minutes, you could have already had a new customer at the table and it adds up at the end of the year. So that's kind of interesting. But I see, we've had a very adventurous week. I saw your son stepped on his first cactus. Congratulations. Thank you. He's, he's now an official Arizonan. It, it, it was like a hundred spines that we had to pull out, but he's fine. Uh, and then uh, we, this is the second time we spoke today because we did a keynote earlier in the week. We did. We, on Tuesday. we spoke at the Accounting and Finance Show USA online and over 500 people registered for that session. I think that almost that many attended too. So that was a lot of fun. We did a countdown of our top stories of the year so far. And then we get down to kind of one of the stories, which is the election. And we polled accounts and bookkeepers on who their voting preference was. Yes. And people jumped all over us. They're like, you ruined your whole presentation because you brought politics into accounting. So I was prepared today, you know, this earlier this week, I was like, hey, I'm going to address about how, you know, accounting and politics are very intertwined. I mean, to some extent, tax law, bookkeeping processes, they're all, you know, guided by politicians, right? You were ready to defend us for having, you know, brought politics into our presentation. And I thought that was going to be the end of our politics discussion this week, and then we'd move on. But yesterday, a monster, yesterday or day and a half ago, I guess, a monster email went out. I was sitting at the restaurant last night, and I couldn't get away from my phone. I, I couldn't actually just like focus on the meal, because here I am seeing Bloomberg, I'm seeing the New York Post. I'm seeing CBS, Fast Company, CBS, the Wall Street Journal, finally reporting that Expensify sent out an email to all 10 million users of Expensify from David Barrett, one of his famously lengthy and eloquent emails, strongly, I, I don't even know if strongly is a strong enough word, imploring them to vote for Joe Biden. And saying that anything less than a vote for Biden, even not voting at all, is a vote against democracy. To quote him in this email, that's right, I'm saying a vote for Trump, a vote for a third party candidate, or simply not voting at all, they're all the same, and they mean, I care more about my favorite issue than democracy. I believe Trump winning is more important than democracy. 
I am comfortable standing aside and allowing democracy to be methodically dismantled in plain sight. Those are some fighting words. And and he ties it back to his company a little bit, right? He says, Expensify depends on a functioning society and economy. Not many expense reports get filed during a civil war. I mean, that that is a little extreme. But let's maybe go into David's head a little bit for a second. So, so first, some context, right? For people oh, okay, who are not yeah. in this world, right? So, David Barrett. You haven't seen the email, I guess. That's true. <laughs> so, if you're an Expensify user, you probably received this email because it went out to every single person registered with an Expensify account. Even outside of the United States. Yes. And that's something we should definitely talk about because I'm wondering, why did they send this to their global user base too? So, went out to every single person directly from David Barrett, who is the CEO of Expensify. And you know, I should say we both know David, and he's a wonderful human being in my experience. And and, and I and I got to spend a day in a room with him at a conference with you, David, uh, and it was a lot of fun and a uh, very smart person. I've known Dave probably since 2007. We did a presentation together on like the early days of when QuickBooks started having an API platform, right? And I remember talking, and I've always thought he's been amazingly crazy smart. And a lot of times he's... Um, Sometimes he pushes people's buttons in the right way or the wrong way. But a lot of times in my experience with him is usually he's right on things. And we can argue about the opinions. I mean, Expensify is successful for a reason because David had this unique idea. They have a grassroots approach to getting enterprise clients. They'll, they'll get people to replace their Excel expense report personally with doing it in Expensify. And then the accounting and finance team starts to see these reports coming in from Expensify. And eventually they're like, oh, let's check out this tool. They sign up for it. The whole company's using it. It was right right at that turning point when iPhones started coming out and uh, MacBook Pros. And his argument was that employees will drive technology because of this consumerism of people are bringing their iPhones to work, right? And because they're bringing their iPhones to work, now all of a sudden uh, IT departments need to support the iPhone. And then what happened was people started buying MacBook Pros. And I saw this at Intuit at the time. Intuit was an IBM Lenovo. Everybody got that laptop. And what happened was certain managers and mid-level managers and VPs, they want... They were in the Apple ecosystem all of a sudden because of the iPhone. And they st- and then next thing you know, a year later, MacBook Pros became the official standard laptop at Intuit. And it's, it was all driven from employees. It was never driven from a VP of or CTO level. Consumerization of the enterprise, that is super prescient, right? And David saw that probably one of the earliest people to see that. So smart guy, but let's get back to the email. It's too much to read the whole email because it's several pages as, as our many David Barrett emails, um, very entertaining uh, to read if you're not offended by the message. Uh, what are some of the key points? Well, I mean, you could just read the sub, if you just read the subject line, it almost summarizes the email. Protect democracy, vote for Biden. So it's an interesting argument. If you believe in democracy, then you should vote for Joe Biden because Donald Trump is, is attempting to dismantle the democratic institutions in this country. That's a an argument that is pretty extreme, if you ask me. Do we really believe that if Donald Trump gets reelected, that democracy will end? I would not go so far as to say that. I think it, I I don't know if it. And would we be may a, not have a civil war, right? Like, like yes, he, he is very decisive about these arguments he's making. Right, right. and I I do not think there is evidence uh, enough evidence, you know, regardless of my political leanings. And uh, you know, c- can we agree that we don't have evidence that this will necessarily happen? That's one thing to the point where we can say this so strongly. Uh, so there, there's the there's a the logical argument here, and I'm not so much interested in that though as as the 
other things around this email? There's a lot of ripples. I have a, two pages of notes, and I'm sure you probably do as well. We can talk about all these ripples. But before we do that, can we just talk about like, maybe what was his motivation? Like, see his point of view of the world? Yeah, sure. What it- like, and I'm speculating a little bit, right? So, for starters, none of business travel has vanished. Yes. Nobody's filing expense reports. There's no conferences. They're, they, they, the usage of their app has to be down 90%. Yes. It, it, it's completely ridiculous, the usage in general. So if that's their business model, they're very dependent on the economy. They moved from San Diego to Portland. So they opened their headquarters in downtown Portland. Portland, arguably, is probably the hotspot for conflict between left and right extremism right now. Arguably, the mini civil war, if you want to use that term. Well, and maybe that's what you know it felt like, probably, being in Portland. That would explain a lot. And if you don't think that the COVID situation was handled correctly and we're still locked down and COVID's because we didn't lock down properly to begin with, which a lot of people are pointing those fingers at Trump, I could see how you could connect these dots. If, if you're in his shoes, how you'd have this strong reaction to this and you want to take some action. And, and this is the action he chose to take. Kind of make, that makes sense to me. I can see why somebody might get this worked up. But then there's the question, was this wise to do? You know, was it a good idea to do something that most people in business would say never do? You should never tell your customers your political opinions. You should always be neutral. Uh, you know, obviously there are business owners that don't do that. They're the, the cross that that make political statements. But it's one thing also to do it as an individual, private individual, and one thing to do it as the company. Yeah, and I think uh, I saw an accountant tweet like two rules that. I always operate under, don't talk politics or religion with clients. I think the conversation online, there are people who are like, yeah, great message. Good for taking a stand. Good for you. And then there's people that are saying that this message sucks. But imagine if Trump and Biden were swapped in this email, however you feel, like if, if you support it or you hate it, imagine if the message was the opposite. How would you feel about it that? Would that change how you feel about the email? And imagine if every company started doing this. What if all of the applications that you use, what if all of your companies suddenly started taking political stands like this and telling you how to feel and how to vote? I mean, well, I wouldn't want that. I mean, our company's already doing that and like Nike very clearly did and it actually helped them. Companies do do this. I saw somebody point out that it's actually better that somebody sends out an email like this with their company versus backdoor donations through political action committees, through lobbying, backdoor deals with politicians. It's actually better that it's just super public. I guess I hadn't thought about it that way. I guess that maybe I'd take that. So personally, I just want to get this off my chest, right? This email is personal. It is coming at me. And it is saying that if I don't vote for Biden, I don't care about democracy. And I'm sorry, but I firmly disagree with that. I think it is possible. There there are many people who are out there voting for third party candidates. There's many people who aren't voting. There's many people who are voting for Trump. And regardless of what I intend to do, I care about democracy. So like that to me, I don't like that message at all. And I think that came off poorly. It came, uh, it, it was very insulting if that's a, the right word. To exactly. Use. I find it, it is insulting, right? Like I'm an intelligent person and I care about democracy and heck voting is democratic and you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You, you have no idea that I, I disliked. And I think that was, you know, person. So I'm speaking as somebody who got the email personally, not liking that message. And I'm going to tell David that when I talk to him next time, because I'm talking to him on, on Monday. It's exciting. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's starting up uh, his own show. 
And I, I'm going to be guest number one on episode number one. So uh, that we're going to plenty to talk about, I guess. Make sure you talk about the podcast a lot on there. <laughs> that's right. Okay. So that's my personal opinion. So your argument here, Blake, is he insulted you and maybe there could have been a better way to do this where maybe it's a very encouraging you to go out and vote. And then there's a paragraph in there and says, and by the way, we at Expensify are endorsing Biden and we'd love if you did too. But really it was just like, you're an idiot if you don't vote for Biden. It's kind of how it came off. That's how it felt. And not just you're an idiot, it's that, like you don't give a crap about democracy. You know, or the country, or, yeah. You, know, you don't care about the country, that sort of thing, right? He even highlights this later in the email. A vote for Trump is to endorse voter suppression. It really is very basic. Really? So there's a difference between expressing your own view and encouraging people to take on your own view versus like attacking other people's point of view. And this feels like an attack. So that makes me wonder, you know, how helpful was it really? Or what did this email accomplish? That's a question that I have. I have some more questions. They sent it to their global customer list. Why do that? I, I saw some folks on Twitter saying that this violates GDPR in the European Union, the rules about privacy and communications there. I'm curious if that's true, I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. Which it may, but my my thought on that, if Trump is president, good luck trying to enforce that EU. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they could get sued there and stop having to do business there. I don't know how much of Expensify's business is global, but hey, actually, maybe this was motivated by that. How did they decide to send this? David was pretty transparent in some interviews. He said that the email was debated internally in the company among all, I think they have 140 employees and they debated it on Slack for like a week. And then the leadership team voted, 20 people voted whether or not to send it and two thirds voted to send it. Yeah, because they have a very flat structure in their company and almost every employee had an opinion on this before it went out the door. Yeah, but David made a big deal about how it's it was a democratic process and they had 140 people in Slack that's like their entire employees uh, base, their entire staff were debating this in Slack. And then the leadership team voted on whether to send it 20 people. But I'm thinking to myself there listening to that, well, that doesn't sound very democratic. Why didn't they have the whole company vote on sending it? And then only two thirds of the leadership team wanted to send it. So there's a whole third of the people that work at Expensify now that didn't want to send it. And they're tied to this, right? This is their employer. Yep. Um, you know, It may not be the message that they want to spread, but they've been you know, associated with it now. There's a question as to like, does this create a hostile work environment for the people that disagree? Does it make it hard for them now to work there? And will this quash people from expressing their opinions? If you know that the CEO at your company has such a strong opinion, are you going to speak up? Probably not. So that's one of my questions. Um, I think I mentioned, did it change anyone's mind? I, like, I feel like with the tone of this email, do you really think that anyone read this and was like, you know what? I, I realized that I should not vote for Trump. <laughs> I, you know, like I'm going to vote for Biden instead. Like, did it do any good in that regard? I, I saw somebody tweet about that. Other than, like, what did this actually accomplish other than possibly pissing off some of their user base? Like, ultimately, you're right. Like, did it move the needle on the election? Probably not. Um, the one thing, you know, is in the article on uh, protocol that you just were referencing as far as the flat This is the one where he was interviewed. Interviewed, yeah. right. There's a couple yeah. other uh, interesting quotes in there. Um one thing he addresses how they're they're basically are trying to respond to every single conversation because in his opinion everyone that writes they care and the fact that they care is a good thing that makes them different than most people who don't care. So there's a little bit of an attack on apathy 
here. And then he goes on to say, which is really maybe the motivation of the whole thing. He says, every CEO has a choice to do something. And to do nothing is a choice. And he said, I choose to do something. And I don't disagree that he had a choice. Yeah. And we live in a free country and corporations and people can speak their minds. And that's what's wonderful about this democracy that we live in. But Expensify is not an island. And what they say has consequences for the people affiliated with their company. So there's the employees, which I mentioned. There's also the partners. There are software partners. There are accounting partners that are affiliated with Expensify. AICPA. Oh, man, that's a big one. And then there's just the general tech world. So I saw Bloomberg suggest in their article that this may contribute to Republican accusations of tech bias in Silicon Valley. And I wouldn't be surprised if this gets trotted out as an example of that. That doesn't help. And then let's get to the the partners or CPA.com, right? Expensify is a preferred partner solution of CPA.com. So you've got the AICPA, the world's largest member body of accountants that supports the accounting profession in an alliance with Expensify. And Expensify goes and sends out this email. And now the AICPA is in a very awkward position because they are aligned, affiliated, partnered with a very, very blue app, an app that has suddenly come down really hard on one side of the political spectrum. So what is that going to do that partnership? And what happens to those firms, those accounting firms? There's a lot of accounting firms that are Expensify approved partners. They have a partnership program and they've made videos and they've written articles promoting the product, reselling the product essentially. And Expensify went and sent out this message And I wonder how much they really thought about the impact on the accounting firms, on the partners. That's exactly what is not fair about this email. Expensify planned for weeks about this email. They prepared for the response. They probably built a team. Hey, guess what? We're going to drop this email and we're going to get blowback. So everybody be all hands on staff to reply on Twitter and social media and be ready for this. Accountants bookkeepers, small business owners are completely caught off guard. I really dove down into some of the comments on threads on Facebook that had nothing to do with the accounting industry, like a lot of small business owners and things like that. And so you're a small business owner. You don't even know who David Barrett is. You don't even get the email, but all of a sudden all your employees got the email and they come to you and you got to figure it out and respond to a bunch of employees. Mind you, who knows what your actual job is and what you had planned that day is running your company. You have to deal with this. Like they, they created situations for accountants and bookkeepers, small business owners to respond to something that they had no plans to respond to. Yeah. Did they ask their accounting partners if this was a good idea? No, obviously not. Talk about downstream impacts and unintended consequences, or maybe they just didn't care. And, and, and you've seen it like people that have, you know, eight months ago, a year ago made an expensive five video because a lot of accountants will do this. They'll make a video about an app mm-hmm. for, to try to um, educate people and possibly get new clients. And so some people that uploaded apps to vi- apps, sorry, they uploaded videos to YouTube possibly eight months ago, a year ago, yesterday, all of a sudden had all these like harassing type messages on these videos. Like, what are accountants supposed to do? Should they pull down the videos? Like they put they they really put a bunch of people up, they set a bunch of people up for failure in a weird kind of way. And the one I saw was Stephen Brown of Ledger Gross, who's a friend of the show. And he's sitting in a hotel room wearing an Expensify shirt talking about how great the product is. And people are just bashing Expensify in the comments and saying, how can you support this company? He didn't know this was going to happen six months ago. And David, I think you had a really great way of framing the question 
Does this mean we're going to run into a situation where we have red apps and blue apps all of a sudden? It, it, it's, it's actually very upsetting to me because I don't want that to happen. We already are super fragmented in general between I'm in a zero world, I'm in the QuickBooks world. You and I have managed to bridge that a little bit, but, but it's already fragmented already in a way. And there's some apps that only work with zero and some apps that only work with QuickBooks, like at a technology API level. Like, are we going to see this alignment of apps? We have to figure out if they're red or blue. And, and it's the crazy thing is I know enough founders, I could make this list. Like if I wanted, really wanted to get a lot of attention today and get us a lot of podcasting, I could I should send out an email and bucket two buckets of apps. I know the founders, could, I know the companies. I could pretty much pretty close, right? Yeah. But I don't want to live in a world where where like now that's the world we live in now. Red apps and blue apps. It it, it I'm, I literally it, it starts to bring tears to my eyes. Like I, it's very upsetting to be to even consider that. Oh my god, are we taking that next step? Especially when you consider that the benefit that we have seen, the renaissance in accounting technology has been because of open ecosystems, not closed ecosystems. And so, we don't want to put up barriers that are unnecessary. If you're working at a big firm where you've partnered with Expensify, and now you've got clients coming to you saying like, I don't want to use Expensify anymore. I can't stand this. Now, you have to go and find an alternate solution. You have to tear out a very deeply embedded piece of technology at your client's companies. And you've got to put in something new. And that's like a huge time suck. This is going to cost accounting firms a lot of money. So this isn't just bad politically for them or having difficult client conversations. This is going to cost accounting firms money, significant money at big firms if they have to replace Expensify with other solutions because their clients don't want to use it anymore. So how do you approach this if you're a competitor to Expensify? You can't really go out and be like, oh, are you offended by Expensify? Come to us. We love you. Trump supporters, because that's just going to turn you the other direction with all the people that support Biden. Like it's the, the ripple effect of this to the entire industry is just monstrous. We all know that CPAs have a reputation of being independent, objective, and skeptical. This is in the ethical rules. This is what we learn in school. This is what we're supposed to be independent, objective, skeptical. I'm probably missing some other adjectives there, but that is what creates value in the mind of the public for accountants and CPAs is that we are neutral. We are here to help you achieve your goals. And we're not going to put our personal stamp on that. And so when you partner with accountants and bookkeepers too, when you partner with accounting professionals, and by that, I mean the entire profession of accounting, you need to respect that. You need to understand who you are partnering with. And this is like, I think hard maybe for software developers to understand who are in that Silicon Valley bubble in San Francisco where everybody thinks the same way. And how could, how could anyone possibly ever vote for Donald Trump? Like they just have no concept of like an alternate point of view. Well, we accountants are exposed to alternate points of view constantly because we have clients on both sides of the political spectrum. We're in the middle of political debates all the time because counting is politics. As you said, David, when we started this segment, that you cannot separate accounting from politics because so much of accounting rules and tax, it's all political. And so we have to try and keep our personal opinions out of it. So that's just my rant, okay? If you want to partner with accountants, don't drag us into your political crap. And I think that our listeners and accountants agree with me because we did a survey on Twitter, David, you launched a, a survey uh, yesterday? Yesterday morning, about 4 a.m., 5 a.m. And so we had a good 24 hours of people responding. 
And how many votes do we have now? We hit 200 votes. So what was the question that we asked? So the question was, the email strongly endorsing Biden sent by Expensify founder and CEO David Barrett to all Expensify's customers was a courageous act or out of line? So those two options, a courageous act or out of line, what were the results? 65.5% said out of line and 34.5% said a courageous act. Wow. So that's pretty darn definitive. And we're talking online accountants who, as we know from a survey that we did earlier this week, tend to be more liberal or tend to support Biden more, I should say, not necessarily be more liberal. But we also did a survey at the Accounting and Finance Show where we asked, do you support Biden or Trump? Or any other candidate. And what were the results from that again? Do you have those? Oh, I think that was like a third Biden, a third Trump, and then a third didn't want to say. That's probably the best summary I could give. Yeah. And actually, it was stronger. Like it was leaning Biden. A little bit. Right. So it was like, it was like closer to 40% Biden, something in the 30% for Trump. So, but that was not aligned with the industry, which I know accounting today had a survey a couple of weeks ago. We talked on the show where definitely accountants in this industry are leaning towards Trump. I just want to emphasize this. So we did an online poll. And we know that cloud accountants tend to be slightly more liberal than accountants as a whole. And even online, only a third of accountants thought this was appropriate. Yep. And two thirds thought it was out of line. Now, getting back to the accountants as a whole, right? The whole industry. Accounting Today did a survey that we've talked about in the past about who accountants plan to vote for. And 55% of the accounting community in the country plans to vote for Donald Trump, 38% for Joe Biden. So like this, this message is not aligned that, it, that David Barrett sent out is not aligned with accounting, you know, whether or not you agree with that, right? You kind of want to align with your partners, right? Uh, and, and then that is what creates, I think, a very awkward situation for the AICPA and CPA.com, given that they are strategically partnered with Expensify. And I, who knows what's going to happen with that? I, I bet you that they are not having a great weekend right now dealing with the fallout. I wonder if Expensify consulted with them on this. I Probably not. There's a lot of reactions to this, right? Like people think he's going to lose half his customers. My, on my guess, they take a 10% hit. Like 40%, most people are all talk. Only 10% are actually going to take the time to cancel and move their call. Like, it's a lot, everybody's all, it's very easy on Twitter. It's very easy on Facebook to just rattle off something, but taking action to replace your expense app or re- to do, nobody, nobody wants to do work. Yeah. It's a lot of talk. Now it could be more and maybe everybody's going to be like, Larry, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. That, that very well could be. Um, the other thing I think that really is, I, I saw they also could gain customers, right? They could gain they could a bunch gain of customers. customers. I saw tweets okay. and I saw posts where people said they're going to now use Expensify. Um, I saw that. I saw extreme posts on some of the mainstream media comment sections about like, put them in jail. Like people want to investigate it. They want to put in jail. People are saying that's a privacy issue. Now that I'm not sure I agree with. Like, did he, did he abuse an email list he had? Yes, but it's not necessarily... A pri- it's not like he used the GPS tracking that's probably built in Expensify for an expense report or looked at your expense report data and then only sent this to people that he suspects well, they are going to vote the other way. Like, I don't think there was a privacy thing here because he sent to everybody. Even if it's not a privacy issue, I think it raises concerns in people's minds and legitimate ones that Expensify has a lot of data on us because they see our credit card statements, every transaction in your credit card, maybe your bank account too, if you use it for that. And so they have a lot of data and you don't want a company possibly misusing your data. Like what if you donated to the Trump campaign and that is on your Expensify expense report? Is somebody Expensify going to misuse that information to like, you know, cause you problems? And that's what people I think were were with the 
because he had a lack of judgment send this out to 10 million, does he have a lack of judgment with all the other data he has? Exactly. I think that was yes. the argument people made. Um, I think that's a, a legitimate question. Yeah. I think the uh, other thing I had was like, there's a lot of people that are very adamant about everybody staying in their lane. Hey, if you're a Democrat, you have to act this way. If you're a Republican, you have to act this way. If you're an app, you have to act this way. If you're this, you need to act this way. And to some extent, I think that's what got us to this point. Like everybody is like, as soon as you don't act how you're supposed to act, Blake, mm. people on the other side lose their minds. And so we've, so it just, I think the division just keeps going more and more and more, right? Like I get that maybe this wasn't well thought out, but I don't have a problem in general with him sending it. Hmm. We're in America, like every, like apps shouldn't just have to be an app. There are people there, right? There's people that use it. They we're all citizens, but this like forcing people to always stay in their lanes, you know, is kind of what got us to this craziness. And maybe it's taken 20 years to get here, but this is really, yeah. we're here. Well, I, I agree with you that they have the right to do it. Was it a good idea? No, I don't. I don't think so. After having 48 hours to think about it, I, I don't think it was a great idea. And I, I definitely uh, think it was a bad idea not to consult the accounting partners and it harmed them. And uh, I think it's going to do permanent damage with accountants and maybe expensive. I doesn't care about that. But, uh, you know, I hope that the other developers listening who have been observing this will see this as and take a lesson from this, because I don't think that was the, <laughs> the right way to handle it. Uh, but, you know, that's just my opinion. I'm curious to hear what our listeners have to say, David. And uh, we would love if, if you have a, an opinion on this one way or the other, give us a call and tell us what you think. We have a voicemail box you can call and leave a message. That number is 202-695-1040, 202-695-1040. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. We'll take a listen and we might even play it on the air. So I think that's enough Expensify for one episode. Yeah, I'm just quickly scanning my notes. There's not much left on that to beat on this horse uh, at all. Other than um, I think it finally is no longer a trending topic on Twitter. But for basically 24 hours, it was. And it was also super high up on Reddit. There was a lot of conversation on Reddit. Um, and I'm not big on that platform, but I do I do follow it occasionally. Yeah, I mean, so it, it, again, like we talked about last week, it's not good when our industry gets out of our industry and gets to the front page of mainstream media. It's never, it's never for the right reasons. And this is possibly another reason. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ADP Marketplace. How can you be a more trusted advisor for your clients as they face new challenges? By recommending solutions from ADP Marketplace, ADP's digital HR storefront. With ADP Marketplace, clients can try, buy, and implement highly rated HR apps that can share data with ADP. With secure data integrations, it's easy to streamline HR processes and adapt to new business needs. Help your clients discover new ways to recruit and onboard employees, boost performance, offer unique financial wellness benefits, and much more. And with integrations for popular business software like Expensify, PayActive, Slack, and ClockShark, clients can add value to the tools they already use by simply and securely connecting them to ADP. Have clients in field service or construction? ClockShark can help them track time to quickly and accurately run payroll, all integrated with ADP. Visit ADP Marketplace at apps.adp.com or right from your Accountant Connect dashboard. Not set up with Accountant Connect? Sign up today. It's free. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash ADP. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash ADP. ADP has your back with ADP Marketplace. (laughs) 
So, you know, one of the reasons I mentioned uh, CPA.com is because it's like very high up in my mind right now because my company just partnered with CPA.com. We're jumping into app news now. We are. So, I work at Giraffe. We are financial planning and analysis software for small and medium-sized businesses, budgeting, forecasting, all that good stuff. And we're very, very proud to have announced our strategic partnership with CPA.com. So it's kind of funny because in like the blog post that I drafted about it, we mentioned that we're in the company of great apps, including, you know, Bill.com and Expensify. The cool thing is, you know, we're the exclusive partner now of the AICPA, CPA.com for financial planning and analysis for accounting firms. I'm really looking forward to getting to work more with uh, the ASCPA in the future So I saw as a CPA myself. So it sounds like um, the idea of having some sort of planning and forecasting tool, they've been discussing this in workshops at CPA.com's client accounting services workshops for years, they've said. And the other quote that really took uh, caught me was, I'm going to read this directly from the Accounting Today article. CPA.com is interested in moving accountants away from depending on Microsoft Excel. Yep. Yeah. So um, is, is Microsoft and Excel a partner of the AICPA? They are not. You're right. The AICPA and CPA.com have been talking about this move to advisory for years. And one of the challenges has been that in the actual planning space of software, they have not found a solution that works well for accounting firms. A lot of the planning, budgeting, forecasting solutions are, are designed for companies directly to use. And you know they don't have the features that we all know accountants need. And we do. That's why they're selecting Giraffe, one of the reasons. So the, the idea is accounting firms want to move to advisory. All the surveys show they do. The problem is they don't know how. And so now we're, we're going to work with CPA.com to give them that pathway to actually do it. And the ACPA is going to teach people how to do budgeting and forecasting better than we can at Giraffe. So that's the the partnership is they're going to do that learning and education piece on the cast side, how to actually like put it into your practice. And we're going to provide the technology. technology stack. Got it. Yeah. So uh, enough about me. What else is what new else in the is world? A couple, uh, a couple of new fintech uh, things. So the big banks are starting to wake up and they're in it to win it. Did, so JP Morgan Chase is launching their uh, new app called Quick Accept. And essentially what this is a direct attack at Square. So, so this is their version of that square swiper, they have right? a square swiper, swiper um, contactless reader. It's going to be bundled together with a business checking account. And they're going to let you get the uh, funds instantly with no fee. So that's the differentiator because the actual processing charges are pretty similar. I think I saw like 2.6% for swipes with a 10, per, 10 cent you know, fee for every transaction. But that same day thing, to be able to get the funds same day is big. For businesses. And the other big part of this is uh, Jen Roberts, she's the CEO of the Chase Business Banking Unit. She told CNBC that a big percentage of its 3 million plus small business customers will be moved to Quick Accept. So this is not even like they have to market it and then get the small business owners to utilize it. They're just going to migrate them. So one of the pieces of information in this article that I, I thought was interesting was that Square was launched in 2009. So over 10 years later, JP Morgan Chase has caught up and now has the same technology as Square did 10 years ago. That's another way to, to think about it, right? And, and I, 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 mean, I remember when Square was launched and the, the banks went after them, the credit card process, especially the credit card processors, like, oh, it's not secure. They have this little square you get, you know, but the banks are in it to win it now. They, they are not, well, like, this is a real deal move. 
Yes. And, and so, you know, Square has to stay ahead. All the fintechs have to stay ahead of the banks, which they appear to be doing because PayPal is now opening up their network to cryptocurrencies. PayPal said on Wednesday that it's going to allow customers to hold Bitcoin and other virtual coins in its online wallet and shop using cryptocurrencies at the 26 million merchants on its networks. That's according to Reuters. By the end of the year, actually within the coming weeks, US account holders will be able to buy, sell, and hold crypto in their PayPal wallets. And then in the first half of 2021, they will expand that to Venmo and other countries. The ability to make payments with crypto will be available from early next year. This is not like super big deal in that Square has and Robinhood have let people buy and you know sell cryptocurrency for a while, but PayPal is just massive compared to them. So that's why this is a big deal. This is not so much about staying ahead of the banks. This is about their own survival. Think about what, what does PayPal do? It's for paying another person electronically. What does Bitcoin do? It's paying somebody else electronically. So Bitcoin could add, and, and Bitcoin technologies could actually destroy PayPal. So they, ha- they have to go down this path just to compete. But the other big thing where PayPal gets out of this, and I, and I wish I had the quote, um, I want to say they did $249 billion in uh, money movement last quarter or it something. Was, it's ridiculous. You're very close. It, well, it was $222 billion in payments in the second quarter and $346 million active accounts. Okay. And do we know how much of that money movement was international? I don't have okay. that in front of so me. So if they get involved with blockchain and Bitcoin technologies, they can move this money around and bypass the entire banking system. And that's where the they, that's where this is really insane, right? If you think they start moving $250 billion a quarter and bypass the entire banking industry. So, so that's why I'm excited about this. And this is why to me, fintech is still ahead of the banks. And like the banks have no idea what is coming. It's possible that their entire industry, like JP Morgan Chase may not exist in 10, 20 years because of this. JP Morgan Chase might be the only one that's somewhat aware of it. I think I feel like if I look at the yeah. big banks, JP Morgan Chase seems to be slowly making the right decisions and moves. A little slow, but I, they are. I guess if they can like at least stay ten years behind, they'll be okay, maybe. But yeah, like all those small banks. I wonder what's going to happen to them. Like the thousands of banks we have here in the U.S. Are people going to abandon those for apps eventually? It's possible. So I got a few more uh, app updates. Some quick ones here. We've got a QuickBooks Desktop update. Now, when you log into QuickBooks Desktop, you're going to have to log in with an Intuit account. They're forcing this to happen. So like new companies created, um, they're going to force migration, it looks like. I hope I'm not misunderstanding this, but it seems to me that what this means is that now, if you don't have an internet connection, you're not going to be able to connect or log into your QuickBooks file. And this is being done because of user experience and security. And obviously, a lot of the features of QuickBooks require a connection. But I can see a lot of pushback on this, right? The, the, the real diehards who want to be able to use QuickBooks when they don't have internet. I mean, there's a lot of places where there is no internet. Yeah, I think that's the, there, there's definitely a, a segment of the market that is still on QuickBooks desktop just because they can't get reliable internet. In rural areas in this country, like people don't realize this. If you're from a foreign country or a, a big city, like you have a lot of times great internet in the US, our internet in rural areas is terrible. I mean, there's people relying on like slow satellite connections, cellular connections. There's no cable out there because it's just like the country's so big, it doesn't make sense to run cable everywhere. Um, This could create some interesting downstream effects. FreshBooks is now adding inventory tracking directly in FreshBooks. It seems to be pretty simple. It's quantity, you know, price, 
you can invoice for inventory and it will reduce the quantity. If you run out of inventory, it will notify you. It doesn't seem like there's like stock level alerts though. So that could be an issue. Oh, that's that's the perfect amount of lipstick to put on to get somebody like Shopify to buy you. <laughs> well, you can also integrate with Shopify. Shopify, Squarespace, BarCloud, or TwoShip integrate with FreshBooks at the launch of this. And so you can pull your data into FreshBooks using each platform's dedicate, dedicated integration and then keep an eye on your inventory all in one place. What else in apps? I think that's all I've got. Oh, Jetpack Workflow had an update. Um, they're the, I think, decently well-known practice management solution for small firms. They have a new feature called Plan. It's an interface that allows you to see all the work in your team by week. And you can see a little progress bar for every staff person as to you know, how many tasks have they completed this week and are they on track. There's a cool video on their website showing how it works. So you know, if you're looking for practice management solutions, I always like to try and highlight ones that are continuing to innovate. And this seems... Hey, I, I'd take a look at this. I haven't used it myself, but I would I would definitely look at it. I have one small sentence on PPP news, and then I have some three oddball stories of the week, like some weird accounting news I can cover too. All right. Yeah. Let's I think, you know, let's just do that because I'm exhausted from our conversation okay. about Expensify. So the PPP, the um Eric as Gerson? Eric as Gerson. As Gerson. So Eric at Gerson, he's the president and CEO of CPA.com. He made, uh, there was an article um, about PPP again. Um, this article was on CNBC. There's a quote in here. He said, there is hope that there will be blanket forgiveness on loans under 150000 but Washington needs to come up with rules before the end of this tax year. We cannot wait until 2021. So this push for rubber stamp forgiveness continues on. Yeah, well. And, and now the the AICPA is on board. Yeah, I mean, that, they've been advocating for this. And I think it would it would just make our lives as accountants so much easier if we didn't have to fill out a zillion forms and or there was like a simplified form where we just attest, you know, to the to the proper use of this money. Because it's going to be a lot of paperwork. And, you know, look at how hard it was to get the money out. The timeline for actual forgiveness is, I think it's the banks have you know, 30 or 60 days to process the application, then the SBA has some similar amount of time. So it's like, if you add it all up, it's about five months. And I just don't see how they can possibly process all of those applications in five months. Well, they can't because another quote in this article says, according to the Consumer Bankers Association, banks estimate estimate that as many as 80% of forgiveness applications that have been submitted by small businesses are requiring additional follow-ups to reconcile errors or find missing information. Yeah, because you know they're submitting whatever they think qualifies as evidence. And I did one of these. It's like not very clear exactly what you are supposed to submit. <laughs> and there's just no way they're going to be able to follow up on all these. Like it's just just insane to think that. So yeah, I'm, I'm with All you. Right. So I'll quickly go. I'm with you on predicting blanket forgiveness for under uh, X dollars. All right. And I'll, and I'll cover these last three quick weird news stories. And the last one actually ties together our whole episode, believe it or not. So this first one is headline. This is from UPI.com. It's an Ohio UPI newspaper. Um, Deer crashes through window into accounting office. What? So so on October twenty uh, second, a guy was heads down working in his office, probably just you know catching up after his tax deadlines, and a deer crashed through the double pane of his office, turns around, makes eye contact with him, and then crashes out a different window to leave the office. <laughs> <laughs> this is like 
it's like he's a character in a cartoon, you know, and he was just in that one scene where <laughs> the, the deer runs in, yeah, and then runs <laughs> and out the other side. You know how like there's always the that scene, window. yeah, exactly. So, so that's kind of weird accounting news. And then um, accounting seed. So accounting seed, we've talked about before. Accounting seed is an accounting app that's built on top of Salesforce. So accounting seed has released a downloadable accounting basics board game. Basics board game. So remember last week we talked about, hey, wouldn't it be great if there was a VR game and you could learn to be an auditor? Yeah. Right. So they created a board game. It's kind of geared at students. It's very heavy debit and credit based. But what caught my eye on this, they actually cre- they actually have a mascot. Remember two weeks ago we talked about how accounting mascots, they have a mascot called Buddy. I don't know. It kind of looks like a plant growing. So if you can think about, remember that video game, um, okay. Zombies versus... Zombies versus Plants. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so well, it's kind of like a plant because it's counting seed. Right. And it's a thing called Buddy. And they, they, they're they wearing uh, karate uniforms. And they so it's like a 20-minute long video. It's a little crazy. One thing is they introduced a term that I don't even understand, which is live equities. It's like they took liabilities and equities and made its own accounting term, I, which I, I was kind of I've never about. heard that before. Yeah. Ugh. Actually, if you if you've heard of this, please comment like in the comments or put it on Facebook or Twitter because like I googled it and it only shows up kind of in one spot. Well, um, you know, if before. you so this is perfect because the holidays are coming up. Accountants are always wondering what gift, what perfect gift can I buy for my children to help them love accounting and become a CPA just like me. You could buy the accounting game and you could give this to your kids <laughs> and film their reaction. And then send that to us. Yeah, so you, you, you could expose them to accounting and Salesforce at the same time. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like the two best things in the world, right? So I'm going to have to watch this video. This looks hilarious. Um, you know, I love, I love it when anyone tries to make learning accounting fun. It, it, it's, it's a long video, but they, and he, the, the, I think it's the founder. He acts in like, he should have an acting career. He plays like seven or eight different roles in the video. It's, it's pretty entertaining, but it's highly edited, lots of concepts. Um, it's, it's worth checking out. Uh, it's kind of entertaining. So check, check out the show notes for the link to this video and this game. We'll have it. If you scroll down in the show notes, you'll see all the links and this one will be close to the bottom because it's at the end of the episode. So I'm not a historian and I have not really been back east to, uh, Connecticut, but apparently there's a, a famous bridge called Bulls Covered Bridge. Maybe you know about it. No, you don't think of it. No, I'm, as a Californian, you know, I'm, don't I'm know woefully either, right? ignorant of the East Coast. Yes. So, historic bookkeeping record suggests Washington's horse, as in George Washington, the first president of the United States. Yes. His horse fell in the water near, near Bulls Covered Bridge and died. Now, where this ties back to our whole situation is this was on an historical expense sheet kept by the first U.S. president. So, full circle, expense tracking and presidents tied together. Well, right? that's amazing. So, so they, they uh, go on to say the historian who found this book, they say Washington kept a very detailed expense book and what he paid out of his pocket and what he wished to be reimbursed during the war. And in that book writes that he took an expense for a horse that was – the new horse that he had to buy at that river because apparently his old horse died. So George Washington's expense report for the Revolutionary War. That's pretty cool. Well, with that, David, where can people find you if they want to connect with you online and complain about uh, your opinions? Uh, anything I may have said or our political views. And um, I am uh, at David Leary on Twitter, at David Leary on face, uh, LinkedIn. If you are on LinkedIn, it's great because now we've gotten people trained. They just report, they don't even put a message. They just say, I'm not a bot. 
And it's great. And I know you're a real person. To say I'm not a bot on LinkedIn, I'll connect with you. I am at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter. Follow me, follow David, follow the Cloud Accounting Podcast to stay up to date on everything that is going on. And join our email list. If you go to cloudaccountingpodcast.com, you can subscribe to our email list and we'll send you uh, an email whenever there's a new episode. And it'll have a summary of what's in there and you can just click to listen. So subscribe on your your phone, but not everybody does that. If you want to listen on your computer at work do that and, and we'll make sure that you get those episodes. And did we have one voicemail we wanted to play out as we go out the door? Oh yeah. Let's play the last latest voicemail that we got. Shane and Nathan uh, calling from Rhode Island, which is my COVID retreat from New York city. I am a co-founder of Brooklyn Applied tax and Brooklyn Applied financial planning and outsourced accounting, outsourced CFO firms. Really love the podcast. Uh, keeps me up to date on everything relevant to the ever-changing world of cloud accounting, which updates uh, surprisingly quickly. Also a huge uh, fan of Melio and Giraffe, both great tools. Love to see you guys developing those and being participants in the cloud accounting space. Um, great plug for those tools. Hope everyone checks them out if you're on the edge of accounting. Also, uh, just, uh, just want to say thank you for being a great resource, keeping me up to date, uh, and surprising and delighting my clients when I can point them in the right direction when it comes to the best uh, way to skin that cat every month. All right. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you, Shane. That's really nice to hear. It's a good way to end the show. It made me smile. It's nice to know like you can make impact and ripple um, off into this industry, and you don't have to send an email to 10 million people. <laughs> Until next time, David, stay safe, stay healthy, uh, have a great week. Bye. Time for the classifieds. I want to tell you about a new workflow solution called Bacotech. Bacotech is a cloud solution that puts CPAs in the middle of their clients' data. Bacotech gathers clients' data and delivers it to CPAs in real time through one login, enabling CPAs to make adjustments to tax returns and client accounting issues as they happen, not after year end. Bacotech helps CPAs provide their clients with the proactive services they need and increases the firm's efficiency and leads to working less overtime and busy season. To learn more about Bacotech, head over to bacotech.com. Looking to radically increase productivity as a cloud accountant? Introducing ClientHub's Frictionless Workflow, a unique combination of internal workflow seamlessly blended with client tasks and communications. See how a frictionless experience across your team and your clients will save you hours of time. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app. Enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. ClientHub, truly frictionless workflow. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.